Welcome back to another episode of Sales with Aslan, your weekly therapy session for those who sell for a living and those who help those who sell for a living. And guess who I found? It's been a little while. It's Tommy Boy, Tom Stanfield back in the house. Tom, welcome. Thank you for having me, Scott. <laughs> Tommy Boy. Uh, I think that positions me as a thought leader in sales, doesn't it? Tommy Boy? It absolutely does. Tommy Boy? Just absolutely. say okie dokie. Absolutely. <laughs> Okie dokie. Okie dokie. Uh, mixing, missing Chris Farley uh, oh. stories. It's a, you know, a motivational speaker. Oh, living so, in a van down know, by the motiva- river. Yeah. Motivational speaker, Tommy Boy. Oh, uh, so no, good thanks for having you. me on the show. I'm excited about this topic. I'm excited about sharing uh, the test we recently ran on, on, uh, to get higher response rates for email. So I think the audience is going to love, love the uh, data that we're about to share. Well, I think so. I mean, this concept of artificial intelligence and conversational IQ, I mean, everyone is talking about it. And mm-hmm. when everyone's talking about it, we've got to get our two cents in there and get your thought leadership brain on it. So I'm super excited to not only define it, but talk about that study that we went through and, uh, and answer some of the questions that are invariably on people's minds. But first, there is something cold, frosty, and refreshing in front of you. What is that? This is uh, a beer that my youngest son brought me yesterday. Nice. I absolutely love it. It's a local brewery in Atlanta. It's called the uh, it's the Wild Heaven is the brewery, and um, it is called this 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 particular beer is called Wise Blood IPA. And Scott, it's my new favorite IPA. Um, Yeah, listen to this. Pale ale burst, Scott, not just flavor, but burst. There's an actual burst. Lush tropical fruit flavors and hints of apricot, melon, and bright sweet orange. I mean, come on. And it really really is great. Um, (laughs) The ABV is... 6.2%. 6.2%. Yeah, gonna say, you're going to be up there. Yep. That's pretty high. Yep. It's yep. pretty high, but it's not, not too bad. Um, so anyway, I'm loving it. And the reason I know it's so good, even though I haven't opened it yet, is because I had one last night. Now I'm going to have one again to finish off my Friday. There you go. That is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, when good I hear stuff. bursting, I, I am taken back to uh, City Slickers when, uh, when, Billy, <laughs> when Billy Crystal says, oh my God, there's going to be bursting when the cow was giving birth. <laughs> so when you said bursting with flavor, that's what I thought of. That's terrible. Yeah, that's what you thought of. Yeah. This terrible is different. Image. This is different. This is well, much different flavor. bursting. I am going to have something that, that really has no bursting. It is a very mm. plain bland and super refreshing cold with blue mountains. That is your favorite mm. Coors Light. That is 4.2% alcohol. And in the that's summer, 4.2%. It is actually a little higher than you would have expected. I thought three, maybe, but no, a little bit more. Uh, but you know, like Schlitz, it's the one beer to have when you're having more than one. And since it's Friday, um, let's just, we'll start with one, but see where it takes us. (laughs) Schlitz in a long time. Schlitz. (laughs) He still sells Schlitz. Uh, I don't know if it was Schlitz. It was, oh, who said, it was one of the beer companies had the one beer to have when you're having more than one. I can't remember. Yeah, I know. I like that. I like that. That's a great tagline. Mm-hmm. Some marketing person. A lot really... of people want more than one beer. A lot of people want more than one beer. So yeah, you're appealing to a large audience there. I think so. And I, in our audience, I can almost confirm to a person that they would 
prefer more beers than just one beer. So, well, let's get into this because um, I do think this is a very interesting and compelling topic. If you haven't been reading or seeing this uh, in the industries you support, um, artificial intelligence, conversational IQ, this is the buzz that's going on. Uh, and we think uh, there's an application for it that Tom's going to help us get into, both for coaches uh, and, and sales enablement type people, but also for reps to understand, you know, both the content that we should be talking about, as well as, you know, what to look for when you're coaching. And so, Tom, uh, tell us a little bit more of the backdrop, and then maybe we can talk about the study we ran to actually prove concept. Yeah, so so I love this idea of conversational intelligence. I really do. I think um, the idea that there's artificial intelligence that can track, I guess we can think about it in two, from you know, like you said, in, in two applications. One is from a coaching perspective. Mm. It can track what the high performers are doing. How much do they talk? How much do they does the customer talk? What words do they use? There's a lot that they can track and then feed that back to the organization and the leaders and say, this is what your high performers are doing. And so reps that aren't doing that, right, those are coaching opportunities. And reps that are doing that, you can reinforce it. So it, it kind of automates coaching. So I love that. And then from a rep perspective, it, it can mine for data and feed the right information to the rep, either about the customer or about the products or solutions that they sell. So it's automating and, and, it, and it's creating more efficiencies for sellers and leaders, which I love that idea. I do. I believe it. The, the thing that we wanted to test is what information, what information do you need to feed to the seller? What's the best information? Because a lot of people... You know, as you, I'm, I'm on the other end of, of, of you can tell, AI-generated um, sort of prospecting efforts. Mm -hmm. People that are mm -hmm. sending me emails, people that are sending me, and they're still they're still falling short of what they need to be doing. Right. And so, yes, it's making them more efficient, but I think they can make it even better. So, as you know, we decided to test the sort of conventional approach to marketing and to prospecting and to getting a meeting to the approach that we recommend, which we call as an other centered approach. So, so I'm excited to share what happened, what we, you know, debrief on how we set those two campaigns up and the results and why one was more, much more successful than the other. I think so this then is... we can feed it back to organizations and say, here's how you can leverage conversational intelligence more effectively. I love so, it. Sorry. Just had to, no, no, I together. think I think that makes a ton of sense. And 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 by the way, I do the same thing you do. Like, and and maybe you do this, you know, leaders out there. When I get bad emails, I put them in a folder mm -hmm. because I want to come back and look at them later. When I get yeah, good ones, right. and and once in a while, you do get a good one that 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 sort of mirrors what we talk about with our other centered approach, and and those are worth saving. And so I think we've got you know between the two of us some 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 outstanding background on this. But I'm really curious. Uh, to get into the program we ran, uh, or the I guess the study that we ran, maybe I'll just set that up because I helped you do that, and then uh, we can talk about yeah. the two two different approaches. Um, we took a list of about five hundred uh, names that we had contacts. We divided them into buckets, a couple buckets, and for the first group, we took a you know a conventional approach that we've learned from seeing the emails that Tom and myself and any any executive gets when they're um, when they're being cold called upon. Uh, and so we just took up, you know, a solution based approach. In other words, you just lead with your solution. You don't care what anybody <laughs> is looking for. You're leading with your solution. You want to brag about it. Right. And that approach mm -hmm. was what we called the conventional approach. Uh, on, on the converse of that, we looked at an other centered approach where we use mm -hmm. our 
uh, other centered position to sort of set up the prospecting email and wait till you hear the difference in the two approaches and how they, uh, how the reaction from the client uh, really was. Tom, did I leave anything out there? Well, no, I think, well, no, you set it up nicely, but, but I'd like to, let's talk a little bit more about each one of those approaches. So the conventional yeah. approach, and I want to undersell that we did the best we could to create the most compelling email we could, can, we could write <laughs> that is in line with what everybody's taught to do. Yeah. Like compelling benefits, uh, interesting, creative opening, um, you know, like it's probably helpful to talk about the solution we were marketing. So that when we when we conducted this test uh, of the conventional approach versus the other centered approach, we did this about I don't know six months ago in the height of you know where there was a big huge swell of interest in virtual intelligence and everybody was wanting to learn how to virtual virtual you know transition their field sales from selling face to face to virtual selling. So we wanted to test the solution that we were offering, which was you know training related to virtual selling. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very hot topic. And so we, in the conventional approach, you know, we, we started off, I think, with this very creative approach of saying, you know, EQ was the big thing. And now it's all about VQ, you know, virtual IQ, you know, so EQ to VQ. And so we, we made this creative, you know, interesting way of, of, of talking about what's the new buzz. And then we talked about the five most compelling benefits. And then we talked about our credibility and our experience in doing it. So we really tried to make it a very compelling email. Then we created an email that's really talked very little about ours. And so I think it's probably helpful, Scott, to unpack the, the way that we position the, 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 the other centered approach. Uh, and there we, we started off not with the solution. We started off with the problem that was on the decision makers whiteboard. And yeah. I think, by the way, we should back up and say that this test was conducted to, I think what the toughest market you can try to get a meeting in with, which is we went to, we sent this email to um, VPs and companies that had more than $500 million in revenue. Yeah. So this was a tough market. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, 250 were sent in the conventional way and 250 were sent uh, with this other centered approach. Yeah. Um, and the other center approach started off with number one, we led with what's on the decision makers whiteboard. We led with the problem. And where did this problem come from? It came from talking to VPs of sales. And so here's what we learned. What they were saying is they were all worried about, are our people selling? Or are they just on the sidelines waiting for COVID to be over? That was kind of a, <laughs> right. yeah. a consistent problem that we were hearing. So guess what we led with the other centered approach? We led with that exact statement. Are you concerned? Are, you, are your reps, I think the exact thing we said is, are your reps selling? Or are they waiting for the pandemic to be over? Yep. So we led with a problem. Yep. Um, and... Yeah, I just pulled it up. It says, of, are your reps just riding out the storm? I mean, that is so perfect word picture, perfect, you know, way mm-hmm. to, to set it up. They, that's what they're worried about at the time, right? Yeah, exactly. Are your reps riding out the storm? Then the next thing we said is not about our solution and the other center approach. It was not about our solution. It was about, we shared a disruptive truth. We said, we said something along the lines of, and you probably you probably have it in front of you, Scott. Yep. We said something along the lines of traditional selling. What you've been taught about selling sabotages your ability to to sell virtually. 
So in other words, what you've taught your sellers to do doesn't work when you sell virtually. It actually backfires. Yeah. Again, it wasn't about our solution. It was something disruptive in, in we're saying something that, that it sort of changes the way they think about the right way to solve their problem. And, um, and we even and the we, last we even ahead. had a little uh, precursor to that that I think is is very compelling. You know, some mm-hmm. reps are thriving. They are getting meetings. In other words, you it's not that you're alone, but there are people having success. Right. And then we mm-hmm. went into that, you know, the traditional approach sabotages. Right. And so I think the combination of you, you know, there are ways to solve this. And that might right. pique some interest. Let me tell you, uh, you know, about a disruptive truth. And then, yeah, the third part is right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, the, yeah, and the third part is, and these are the the three elements. And we'll go back over them. The third part of the email was, what do we offer that's proprietary? The proprietary benefit. And so we just talked about, you know, there needs to to sell virtually. You need a different process, philosophy, and strategy. Yeah. And so we didn't really say much more than that. All we really just talked about is there's unique skills, neat strategy that you need to develop to sell virtually. And I think the important point here is when you when you think about what benefits you want to share, you have to limit them because your email can't be very long, right? right. You, you've got to pick high level what you offer that's unique to you, which is obviously what proprietary means. What is it that you own? What can only you do that no one else can do? And so we limited it to just a couple of sentences about what we do proprietary. We didn't get into the features. We didn't get into the detail. It's almost more of a tease. Um, Not that you're doing that to be manipulative, but you just don't have time. People scan, they don't read. That's right. So you know, so the difference between the first and the second, the conventional approach was we start off with creative, you know, EQ used to be the thing. Now it's about virtual intelligence. And, and so are your reps able to sell? And, and then we listed the five big benefits of the program that we offer. And then we talked about our credibility and the next in the other centered approach, we led with what's on their whiteboard. We communicated a disruptive truth. And then we communicated only what we do that's different. And it was very high level. Um, and so we should just the time where we need the drum roll. The question now is what was the difference in results? Cause honestly, we didn't know. Right. No, that's, you know, it, it was an exciting test because we didn't know. And we, we surmised that we, we would get a better result, but we didn't know it was going to be like this. Did we? No, I, I really wasn't sure. And honestly, the reason I wasn't sure, cause we tested things like this before and I was very confident in, in our other centered approach, um, was was a successful approach because we've been teaching this for several years. Yeah. Um, this this model for how to position a meeting, but because of the popularity of the virtual or the need for virtual selling skills, I actually thought the conventional approach, given where the market was and there was already a perceived need for virtual selling skills, that that actually might outperform. The approach where we talk more about just the customer and what's on their whiteboard and leave with the problem and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened, Scott. Um, yeah. What we looked at was if you if they opened up the email, so I actually read it. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of reasons that people don't see or read your email. It might have gone into spam, yep. whatever reason. But but if they read it, what happened? So the conventional approach, um, as we t- spoke about earlier. Um, if they, the click through rate, cause we offered them an, uh, a, a, an article mm-hmm. about the, the, you know, the keys of virtual selling skills. Um, the click through rate was 9.09%, Yep, which actually is pretty high. 
that's pretty good. Yeah. 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 I think the, I think what is the, what's the Scott, what's the, the benchmark that they want for a, an, e- an effective email campaign? For yeah. I mean, rate? a couple percent, like- right. So, so we're well above the, the, uh, the average there. So um, yeah. And that's with, yeah, so that's good. <laughs> That's very good for a conventional approach, and and we're, we were happy to see that because a lot of people are trying that. But, but first, or but wait, <laughs> there maybe there's something <laughs> <wait>. better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's actually pretty good. So yeah, that that's means the conven- That's why people like the conventional approach because there's yeah. a reason you want to have offer compelling event benefits. There's a reason you want to have a creative opening. That you know, obviously you want to talk about your. Those are all good things, and even in the market's hot, you're going to get something you know, or the perceived need is high, you're going to get something like that. But here's what we got from the other Senate approach. It was 33.3% click-through yeah. rate. Yeah. That's 366% higher click-through rate. Yeah. So it's almost 400%. So um, it was a a much higher, I mean, if you look at the bar graph, it's, it tells the story. And so uh, it demonstrated that what's more important is talking about your customer's whiteboard than talking about your solution. So obviously there's a little bit here to unpack as to why it worked. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, if, if, if we're talking normal of, let's just say 2% on average and this mm-hmm. conventional approach, and maybe that was because of the times and, and, and maybe we, maybe we even wrote the conventional one, you know, uh, as well or better than most was 9%, a little bit over that. And then you were getting 33%. That's an incredible testimony. I mean, and again, remember this is, this is VPs of sales. Yeah. This is not, or VPs of learning, these are large, large companies. I mean, they're getting tons of, of emails. Yeah. Probably hundreds a day for sure. So, you know, I don't know. I just have a couple questions. Can I, can I, can I fire away or you got something else you want to add? Yeah, yeah, let's, you know, yeah, let's, 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 let's I mean, I'm just thinking think like, so, so if this is so obviously um, a better approach and, and if you listen to sales with Aslan, this is not the first time you've heard about our other centered position. Why mm-hmm. let, let's start with why does the OCP work? Yeah, I think I think for the and it's probably good to to talk about this from the standpoint of people. Maybe this is the first time they've ever heard us talk Absolutely. about these three yeah. elements. Um, and so the reason that this approach works, and again, I want to be super clear, kind of what what the OCP is, the other centered position, is is anytime you go to write an email or introduce yourself over the phone or write a LinkedIn message, however you're going to send the message, this is a framework that you should use to deliver that message and kind of craft the core of the message. It's not, mm-hmm. you're going to have, you're going to say other things in your email or message, but this is the core. This is the heart of the message. You should always lead with what's on their whiteboard. What's the problem? Lead with them. Um, and the reason that that works is because of there's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system. Um, and you don't have to remember that. We always talk about it as the RAS, the RAS, the RAS. And the part, the, the function of this part of the brain is to sift through the 5,000 plus messages you get every day. We are all overwhelmed with information. So your brain automatically sifts through that and alerts you to the things that you need to know, right? Because you can't sift through it. You ignore most everything. You drive home, you ignore things. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, you'll notice something. So the the the... If you want to be good at getting people's attention, you need to know what drives the RAS. What filter does the RAS use to allow your the messages to go from your subconscious to your conscience? It's like you're driving home from work. You're going to notice something. Yeah. You will ignore 
hundreds of thousands of messages. You'll ignore billboards, you'll ignore cars, but there are certain things that you will ignore or that you will get your attention. And what the number one criteria of the RAS is something that you know you need. If yep. you know you need it and it's relevant to you, you will see it. So if you, there's something in an email, so that's why it's so important to uh, lead with what the decision maker that you're trying to reach is thinking. What's think picture? What's picture? They have a whiteboard. Like there's a whiteboard in my office right here. Yep. What's on my whiteboard? <laughs> right now we're trying to promote the new book. So yep. anything someone sends me about promoting a book, I notice. I can't help it. The RAS says you need to pay attention to this. Anything that's not related to what's on my whiteboard, I don't notice. So think about when you're going to write an email, lead with what's on the decision maker's whiteboard. What If you can picture their whiteboard, what's up there? Yeah. And if you don't say something that's on that whiteboard, you won't get their attention. So that's number one. And, and that's an interesting one. That if you want to test just in your personal life, just Tom said, you're, when you're driving home tonight, just notice what grabs your attention on a highway, what, yeah. a bumper sticker or, a, or a, a billboard or a sign of some sort that why did that grab your attention and ask yourself that it's probably something mm -hmm. it, that creates a gap in your understanding or it's something that you need. Right. right? Exactly. It's exactly right. Well, there's also another part of the RAS um, that when you think about what might get their attention, there's another part of the, the there's another element of the filter that, that the RAS uses to bring information to you. So one is something you know you need. So if you know, if you, it's a perceived need, a felt need, yeah. um, then that's going to get your attention, which is also something really important to notice. Um, some people might think, well, they don't know they need it, so I need to tell them that. Well, that comes later. If you want to get their attention, you it, it, prospecting is about alignment. It's not about changing beliefs. You change beliefs later. But when you want to get somebody's attention, you got to lead with what's on their whiteboard. You got to lead with some problem they already know. Um, so next, the other part of the filter that's on that that the RAS uses to determine what messages get through is something that it doesn't understand. So if it's something that's out of the ordinary, it's going to get your attention. Like, so that doesn't, that's why, like, if you watch a Liberty Mutual commercial, there's an ostrich with sunglasses on. That gets your attention. It sure it, does. What, what is this ostrich? Yeah, what is this? You see all these commercials that are effective, they get your attention. Sometimes humor is used. Well, humor gets your attention because that's something you need. You need to laugh. You want to laugh. That You like that. So those are the two elements, and that's why we try to share a disruptive truth. So something that's not expected that the decision maker doesn't know about how, what's the best way to solve their, their problem. Um, you know, like a disruptive truth might be, you want to lose weight, eat donuts. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's like, okay, wait, I, I don't, I don't know how that works. I mean, I understand your that. brain's going, well, how, I, that doesn't make sense. So it, it's about breaking the, breaking the flow. There's, you know, saying something that, that, that is out of the norm that will get their attention. Gotcha. So that's an, that's another reason. That's why it works is it addresses something. It says something the decision maker needs and it, it's disruptive. And that's the key to, to creating an effective message. And that's why the other centered position outperformed the conventional marketing three to one. Which is interesting. And, and with our 25 years of, of sort of proving this out, my next question is like, why don't reps lead with the customer's whiteboard. We know it works. Maybe not everybody does, but people that listen to the show and read our stuff, it, it works. Why don't more people do it? Well, it's so easy to talk about our stuff. 
you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we know what our message is. I mean, when I go write an email and I say I'm going to talk about the five benefits of our virtual selling program, that just rolls out like that. When I say I'm going to have to write about what's on the decision maker's whiteboard and think about their problem and what's their life like and what's – it's hard. That's hard. But my encouragement would be um, it's <laughs> – the results are so much better when you lead with – when you leave with a customer's problem and your solution that that will, it's almost like you might move a little slower, but you're going to get a lot more results. Right. So, cause right now the average email is less than 2% response rate. So um, if you, if you got to work all that, you got to work so hard to get such few responses, it's worth slowing down to speed up or to get better results. The other reason too, I think is because um, is the, um, gravitational pull to self yeah <laughs> because the, the gravitate the, the, yeah i mean we are so connected to what we do and that's so natural for us because it's the world we live in we think right. about our solution all the time you know we have that's all we talk about in our meetings and so what i like to try to do is say okay i my goal is to remind myself before every call is that I need to continue to develop, build information about what's on my decision maker's whiteboard. And the time to do that is to make the decision for every call to focus on the customer and learn more about them. I kind of want to add that to my repertoire of information. Yeah. So if I'm keeping a running list of learning about the voice of customer, like what's the voice? If I'm selling to a VP of sales, what are the four or five things that are always on their whiteboard? And if I'm always tuned into that, my list gets pretty robust and it becomes much easier for me to write an effective email. But if I just kind of constantly thinking about my stuff and how to position my stuff in light of what's the benefits of my solution, um, you know, I'm just not going to be that successful. And I'm so that's, do the same I mean, thing over and over again. I think that's a key takeaway for both reps. Long answer, but yeah, both reps and, 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 you know, leaders out there is building that arsenal of whiteboard items that you are noticing every day. And by the way, why not share those across the sales team, right? I mean, just because Johnny's yeah. running into that all the time doesn't mean that Jerry and Susie aren't. So let's get that stuff public and published so people know what the whiteboard issues are for the client base they're calling on. So uh, <clears throat> anything else on that or, um, or maybe my final question might make some sense as we, uh, we bring this home. Um, does the framework apply to, you know, other situations beyond just prospecting? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because this is where, you know, we are talking specifically about this sort of this framework where you, you know, you lead with the customer's whiteboard of their problem, their point of view, however you want to think about that. You share a disruptive truth and then you end with a proprietary benefit. Yes, that's a great way to position an email. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a great way to position a meeting, great way to introduce yourself. But it's also a great way to unpack a point in any time where you're presenting your solution or you want to draw the decision maker or the listener to your to a specific point or even you're making a transition. If you lead with what's on the customer's whiteboard or you lead with their point of view, you're going to draw them to your point. If yeah. you say, hey, next we're going to talk about this because you. Think about it as leading with the two words because you. If you can begin the sentence with because you, yep. you're always going to draw them to the point. And then you don't talk about your solution. You talk about here's what most people believe about that. 
but here's what's actually true. That yeah. sets you up as a thought leader. That sets you up as somebody to listen to. That's somebody that knows how to solve a problem. You've got a different way of thinking. So you're, you're not, and you're not talking about you. You're talking about them because you care about this or because you're trying to do this. Here's a different way to think about it, or here's what we've learned about what most people don't know about how to solve that problem, or here's why we're going to share this information with you. And then you always share what's only unique that you offer to solve that problem. So when you, when you work with those three elements and they're all connected, that's the most effective way to have a conversation. So if you've got an AI tool looking for what, what is going to be um, you know, going to drive the, the high performers, that's what I would look for. How much are they talking about the customer? How much are they talking about the customer's problem? Um, of their point of view and how much they're sharing, how much disruptive insights they're sharing. And then, you know, are they talking about your solution in a way that's, that's unique to you and connected to their problem? I love it. I mean, we've talked about many times on the show that if you're not measuring it, you can't manage it. And this is just another yeah. tool and another concept to help leaders, you know, effectively measure what their reps are doing, what they're saying, what they're not saying, what they're listening for, um, and putting that in a, in a, in a methodology that allows you to, to manage that, improve that and really coach to that. And for reps, it really is, uh, it's, it's knowing what to say and when to say it, not as some tip or trick, but really just in an other centered approach, uh, with an outline that I think Tom's, you know, effectively explained here with the other centered, uh, position statement, whether that's verbal or whether that's, uh, uh, in an, in a written format, like an email. So Tom, before we turn these guys loose, any last tidbits of wisdom? No, I think that's it. I think we've given them a lot of information on the, on the call. I think, you know, I would just encourage them to develop, uh, develop your list of, of whiteboard issues, you know, and say, what are the top five things that's on the decision makers that I serve? What's the top five things on their whiteboard? Not what are the top five benefits of your solution, but right. what are the top five things on their whiteboard and make that your passion. And the, the top communicators, uh, the top sellers, they get that. And so it will help you get more meetings and it will help you be more compelling when, you, when you're presenting. And by the way, that's where I have to really prep, Scott. When I'm presenting our solution uh, in a very competitive environment, most prep I have to do is setting up the key points of the presentation based on what the customer I'm talking to is thinking. How do I draw them to the point? How do I explain? How do I talk about them? Because it's easy for me to talk about me. Right. It's really hard for me to talk about them because especially when you've got multiple audience members. And so when you can connect your point to everybody in the audience by starting off with them, so compelling because as I always like to say, if I show you a picture of you, you will look at it every single time. It's so I got a, I got a piece of direct mail yesterday and it was a picture of my house. I had to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tom, this has been awesome. And you guys get out there and pre-order the book uh, unreceptive because Tom goes into this and talks about other studies we've done. Uh, it's a great read. It's going to help a lot. Also share the podcast, download it, subscribe and get it to your friends. We do this for you. We're super excited to do it every week and we'll see you next week on another episode of sales with Aslan. Mm -hmm.